we initially like intentionally stayed small because we knew that like scaling too big would be a total nightmare. So in the first few phases, we were like, okay, let's keep it super small. Let's iron out and identify any problems that we have really early on and set up processes to alleviate those problems and or automate them. Um, so we did that super early on and it's honestly paid off a lot. This is the What Works Podcast, and I'm your host, Tara McMullen. If you want to build a business that can stand the test of time, you need to figure out what works for you and your small company. That's why every week I talk with real small business owners about what's really working for them. I want to help you fill in all the details of how others do what they do so you can fill in the details that work for you. Today, my guest is Bridget Kilgallen, the co-founder of Aret Basewear, a company specializing in technical gear for strong, adventurous women in the outdoors. Bridget is a veteran rock climber and avid supporter of women in the outdoor community. She's a native San Diegan, and she's passionate about local communities, sustainability efforts, and her snake child, Calexico. When she's not organizing impromptu dance parties in the office, she's busy building connections between people around her and raising the bar for standards in the fashion industry. I wanted to talk to Bridget about her company's innovative product strategy and their community-oriented brand and marketing strategies. We chat about what defines the Aret brand, how they've developed their visual aesthetic, what steps they took to bring the product to market, and how their brand ambassador program took shape. Now, let's find out what works for Aret Basewear and Bridget Kilgallen. Bridget Kilgallen, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tara. Absolutely. All right. So let's just start off at the beginning. Can you tell us how a rep baseware got started and why you guys chose chose to perfect a single product as your initial kind of go to market strategy? Yeah, sure thing. So um, we started out initially, it was just me and Lauren, my buddy, my climbing friend, and we kind of had some ideas of wanting to reinvent the base layer, but nothing was really sticking. Um, so fast forward a little bit and we met Olivia, our third co-owner, and, um, she had a little bit of experience with sewing and she was a swimmer. Uh, and she and I immediately bonded over the fact that we both couldn't really wear traditional bras because we have such broad backs and shoulders. Um, so we kind of all got together and we were like, why isn't there something out here that works for what we need in terms of fit and in terms of making it work on our adventures, whether it's in the water or whether it's out camping and climbing. Um, so we kind of got together and we just started trying to identify what that problem was and see if we could come up with a solution for it that would work for girls that are within our um, outdoor activity industry. Um, so, yeah, it really started as like a problem solution um, approach. And it kind of expanded into figuring out that a lot of clothes these days are fit on like a one size fits all standard measurement, no matter what, regardless of body type. Um, and so that's something that we identified as being like the problem that we need to solve. Um, so we got together and we started just hand making lots of prototypes. We measured as many girls as we could. Um, we got a bunch of different body types to test them out. Um, and then eventually we started sending the tops out to girls around the country who are actually in the outdoor industry, actually out there on adventures. And we just had them put it to, to the test and see how it went. Um, so that's pretty much how we came to the design of our top. Um, and in terms of doing a single product as our initial strategy, I think we just felt that there are so many things out there right now that 
are designed poorly, whether it's fit, whether it's function. You know, I think the fashion industry, they do a lot of producing a high quantity of items instead of focusing on making one item really good. Um, so we, we just kind of were tired of that and we were like, okay, let's focus on one thing. Let's do it really, really well. Let's make sure we're finding that problem and then identifying the solution. Um, and it's honestly, it's paid off a lot in terms of getting our customers to value us really highly and sort of gaining their trust in that we have their best interests at heart and that we're really looking to solve a problem for them. Um, so I guess, yeah, initially it wasn't really like our our strategy like oh let's only make one product Mm -hmm. um it just was was something that we kind of ended up doing and it it worked so well that i think if we or when i should say when when we do introduce new products we're probably going to have the same approach where we're really identifying that problem coming up with a solution making sure that we're taking into account a lot of different body types getting the perfect fit um because in terms of of customer satisfaction and and turning one-time customers into multiple purchase customers, it, it really goes a long way. Um, like we've seen customers, as once they get the right fit, a lot of times they'll come back and they'll purchase every color that we have oh, in the wow. single top. Yeah, so it's, it's paid off like not just in terms of, of money, but also in terms of kind of making these customers like like fans of our brand that are going to go and tell everybody about it and tell all their friends that they found the perfect top. Um, so yeah, that's, that's was our strategy with that. And it's, it's paid off in a big way. I love that. I think if you guys in sort of a family of companies right now who are kind of taking that strategy, and I love seeing that bubble up as as a product strategy for small businesses, because not only does it make a great product, but like you said, it gives people something to really grasp onto and become a fan of. So it's not just good product strategy, but it's good marketing strategy as well. And I really appreciate you kind of sharing that perspective from both sides too. How long did it take you guys to go from that initial prototyping phase to rolling out the website and kind of announcing you were open for business? Yeah, so um, that's a good question. So we started in the summer of, I want to say 2016, with just making handmade prototypes. Um, And it took us about probably a month to get to a prototype design where we were like, okay, now it's ready for testing. Um, And then we made about 40 of them, which was just me and Olivia on our sewing machines, like all night. (laughs) And um, yeah, so we shipped them out to a bunch of girls that we've been talking to on Instagram and on email. Um, And that testing phase, I would say took around three to four months, just because we needed to give the girls time to actually go out on adventures and put it thoroughly through the test in the outdoors. Um, That was probably the biggest chunk of time. And then in that duration, while they were testing, we were kind of shaping up to get the website running, Um, I, I come from a background in interaction design, so I pretty much handle all the technical stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. and along with all the design and branding, um, oh, actually no. So this is the big kicker was figuring (laughs) out a, a manufacturer. So that's like probably the biggest, um, hurdle that we faced as a business. And it still continues to be this to this day is finding a reliable manufacturer, that can create our tops at the quality that we want um, at a price that works in the marketplace. Um, so that a huge chunk of time was just spent trying to find the right manufacturer. 
And actually, we went through a couple of uh, first initial places that just did not work out at all. Like they, a lot of places are really used to working in a standard format, like, oh, this is standard sizing. This is how everybody else does it. This is how we think you should do it too. And it took a lot of convincing for us to be like, no, we're doing it differently. Our selling process is different. Our fitting process is different. Um, so that's been a little bit frictitious, if that's a word. Um, and uh, yeah, so that that probably took a good two months on top of it. So I'd say overall, it was about like six months from like the idea to having one manufactured sample that was like ready to put to market. Um, and the manufacturing being the biggest, the biggest hurdle there. Gotcha. That sounds pretty fast to me, actually. And I'm so glad that you answered the manufacturing question before I even asked it, because that was totally <laughs> on my mind next. Um, what, what is, uh, obviously you don't have to tell us specifically who, but I'm curious, like what kind of manufacturing facility are you using now? Um, you know, what, how did, how did you end up finding them in the end? Yeah, absolutely. I really don't mind sharing too. I think, um, in today's ecosystem, I think all us small businesses kind of need to support each other. And so I, I'm not super overly competitive, but um, so we started in, we wanted to keep things local, which obviously is a struggle to keep uh, profit margins low when you're manufacturing things locally. But um, we started with pretty much what we could find, which was a uh, athletic wear manufacturer here in San Diego. And, um, we were lucky enough to talk to, I think she is now the product designer of Prana. Um, oh, but wow. this one gal, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, um, we, I met her from the climbing gym, just kind of small community. Um, we had got to talking about how we had this idea to create a, a sports bra for climbers. Um, and she was nice enough to kind of give us like a crash course of this is what the manufacturing world is like, um, which was great because we had no idea what we were getting into. Um, and she hooked us up with our first contact, which was, um, yeah, up in like sort of like North Beach area, um, a smaller um, cut and sew facility that primarily did, um, what is it? I want to say like kayaking, like like athletic wear for kayakers or canoeing, one of those sports. Um, so, so he had the machines that we needed, which was you know, the sublimation machine and a couple of various other machines. But the main, um, the main theme is that the manufacturer has to be able to work with athletic wear. Mm -hmm. um, so that already kind of narrows down who we can work with because stretchy fabric just has different criteria in terms of sewing. Um, so that was where we started and it worked out for a little while, but um, we had some issues with quality control. We had some issues with um, the, the price point was like really high, it was killing our margins. Um, so then we switched to another place in San Diego, which is down in um, like National City area. Um, and, you know, quality improved a little bit. The price definitely went down, which was good. Um, but they they weren't really able to provide us everything that we needed to have done in one place. So what we were ending up doing is kind of driving all over Southern California in order to have different components of the top made. You know, the straps had to, had to be run in the OC. The fabric was from LA. The sublimation was done here in Normal Heights. And then the cutting and sewing was done in, in National City. So it was a lot of like running around and organizing. Um, and they didn't have anyone that was able to help us with turning our prototype designs into a 
uh, like finalized production ready design. And that's really important because if you don't know what's going on from a production standpoint, it's hard to identify what is sucking up all of the sewer's time and then in effect costing you more money. Um, so now we're actually in the process of switching again to um, a place in LA. We're actually going up tomorrow to get that started. Um, and this is kind of a facility that's bigger and can do everything that we need done in one place and has a um, design studio where we can work with them to get our design production ready. Um, so that's where we're going next. And hopefully that will work out TBD as of tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I so appreciate you kind of going through that step-by-step because step, I've asked that question of other people before. And, um, I think there were a lot of steps skipped and I'm, I'm just so glad you didn't skip any steps. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. No problem. No problem. It was a lot yeah, of steps. <laughs> totally. And I think it's such a mysterious process too. Like, okay, I had this idea and now I have an e-commerce shop, but there's so much that happens in the middle. And, you know, as you were you know, just described, there's so much that happens not just in the middle, but after you go into quote unquote full production too, once you're live mm -hmm. and you're selling things, that doesn't mean everything is finished. And so that's, that's, I think that's great for people to keep in mind as well is that it's an ongoing process. And ideally you land somewhere that you can stick with for the long term. Um, but it's going to take some, it might take some tries to find that, that spot. Let's shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about the Aret brand because that's one of your key roles, as you mentioned, uh, in the company is kind of managing that brand, forming that brand. So can you describe what the brand is behind Arette Basemer? Yeah, sure. Um, so we have this fun little personification of our brand where we say it's like um, Arcteryx, which is a technical gear brand from Vancouver. They make a lot of like um, skiing and snowboarding and um, climbing stuff. And they have like this really, really high-end minimal brand. So it's if Arcteryx met Lululemon, which is very feminine, very like, you know, athleisure high price point, comfortable intimates. Um, yeah, it's if Arcteryx and Lululemon had a baby girl and that baby girl is a ret and she grew up and got married to Hippie Tree, which is kind of like a young hip surfer brand. Um, so that's how we personify the brand in relation to other brands. Um, and there's more to it than just that. Um, we try to position ourselves as a piece of technical gear um, so we want to make sure that the brand represents that, that we're not, we're not just making athleisure, we're making something that's functional and technical, uh, because a lot of clothing companies out there for women right now are really focused on just sort of making something stylish and pretty. And we don't, we're not really on board with that. Like we think women's wear should be just as functional as men's wear. Um, so we really go out of our way to make sure that it's, it's communicated that this is a piece of technical gear. Um, on top of that, we have some keywords that we identified early on in the branding process that kind of guide all of our design decisions and our aesthetic. Uh, and those are contour, strong, dynamic, futuristic, minimal, and elevated. So whenever we're picking imagery, we kind of keep those in mind. Um, the brand is also a little bit androgynous. Like we kind of didn't want it to feel excessively feminine or excessively masculine. It kind of walks the line in between. Um, which gives us a little wiggle room in case we ever did want to branch out to doing menswear. We can kind of have this neutral, uh, gender neutral brand. And also just in terms of the political ecosystem right now, we think gender neutrality is something that goes a long way in being relatable to people. Um, 
and then we also just try to have a little bit of a sense of humor, like through our brand voice and through any kind of captions that we write and kind of um, copy on our website. We try to keep it kind of fun and silly just because everybody takes themselves so seriously these days. And it's nice to have a little touch of humor on there. Um, so that's that's probably our brand in a nutshell. I could probably keep going on about that. But <laughs> that's the basics. <laughs> I think anyone who's passionate about branding can keep going on about their brand for a very long time. And that's a very, very good thing. Um, I love the description of Arcteric uh, and Lululemon having a baby because that, I mean, that just, it makes me want to open my wallet like very widely. <laughs> <laughs> Nice, nice. That's the yeah, goal. <laughs> totally. And I also am really fascinated by um, you mentioning that, that like the gender neutrality and the androgynous um, sort of aspect to the product. And that made me think, and, and I want to transition a little bit more into the, the your Instagram strategy, but specifically it made me think of a series of posts you guys did around men wearing the base wear. Uh-huh, How did you yeah. come up with that idea? Boys in base wear, yeah. Um, so... You know, that's funny. That came up because, so right now, 70% of our customers are women, obviously buying things for themselves, but 30% of our customers are actually men buying things for their the women in their life. Um, so that's something that, you know, when you're making something for women, you don't initially think of it off of that. But once we noticed that, we were like, okay, we kind of have to accommodate for these guys and make sure that our customer journey is including them. Um, and we noticed it when we were going to events, like it's, it's not all women in the climbing community. It's a majority of men and we don't want to exclude them from our brand. We want to make sure that they feel involved. Um, so it pretty much all started with Olivia's brother, her little brother wanted to help support her in some way. And he, uh, this was when we were like first starting out at our launch party. And so she's like, why don't you just put one on? And, um, so he donned one of our tops and just wore it around climbing and kind of like loved it. Like, like truly enjoyed <laughs> wearing it. Um, and we've done it a couple other times. Like we were just at uh, Waco Rock Rodeo and there was a group of guys next to us with uh, the American Alpine Club. And we were like, you guys want to try one on? Like, why not, right? Like what's all the fuck about? What's all the hullabaloo about? So they, they put one on and it's really funny. Like as soon as guys get into the top we can kind of assign them colors we're like oh you're a mars you're a neptune like you're definitely a dune and they really kind of like the second they get it on they kind of light up and like start to work the camera and like really truly enjoy it so it's it's just been kind of a fun thing uh to get guys involved because a lot of times you know the idea of stuff for women and for women's boobs is a little bit like intimidating for guys so it's kind of a way for us to like add some humor to the situation and make it a fun way to get guys involved. That's so great. Yeah. It's funny to me how, you know, looking at the images as they were coming through my feed, I'm like, this looks very normal. This, why does this look so normal? And I think that probably what, yeah, what you said about like them just kind of realizing a, a, a new way of feeling comfortable, I guess, is probably what makes it look so normal. Um, and it took me a second to really realize what was going on in those images. So I love hearing the backstory behind that. Um, let's talk about your Instagram account in sort of uh, more of a broad sense. Uh, it seems to be a, a key marketing channel for you guys. And I think that that makes a lot of sense because so many there's so many climbers on Instagram. There's so much climbing material. I think I probably spend at least an hour a day just looking at climbing photos and and people climbing and all sorts of things on Instagram. (laughs) Um, So that makes a ton of sense. But what do you guys 
looking for in an image when, or, you know, what are you thinking about when you're crafting that content for your Instagram account? How does that relate to the way you're, you're trying to build your brand right now? Yeah, totally. So, um, you know, at first we didn't have so much of a strategy, like those, those brand keywords that I mentioned, we try to keep those in mind just in terms of like crafting an aesthetic. So contour strong, dynamic, futuristic, minimal, and elevated. Um, And the way that plays out is like, for example, contour, if we can find like a really nice photo of a landscape with like really strong contrast and contour lines um, that kind of undulate through the landscape, we'll definitely pick something along those lines. Strong, um, we obviously want to promote the idea of all body types, not just strong, but, um, you know, if if you are a girl and you do have muscles, we don't want you to be ashamed of them. So we try to make sure that we're promoting images that are making women of all different body types feel as comfortable as possible. Uh, dynamic, that's one that's been a little trickier to find, but a lot of times if we can find an image where somebody's like mid-action, like whether they're jumping um, to catch a hold uh, or what we call dinoing and climbing, um, or whether they're just like doing something that involves movement, that dynamic aspect is a really great way to kind of like grab people's attention. Uh, futuristic and minimal are probably more for the side of our, our product design, but elevated is for sure one. Like if we can find shots of girls who are in high places, whether it's up on a rock, whether it's base jumping um, or looking up to the sky, we always want to kind of have those positive elevated um, motifs coming through in our images. Um, so those are the things that we look for, but realistically, like all of our customers and our ambassadors and everybody who's involved with our brand has been so, have been so active on Instagram that they just, they tag us in a ton of photos. Um, and so we end up having this like huge library of content to choose from that we can repost. Um, and it's all super authentic because it's from real people. Um, and I think that go- that's like the biggest driver is the fact that it's genuine, real people posting things. I think there's a lot of kind of like overly curated, overly crafted things on Instagram. And we just we just kind of keep it real, you know, like these are real women wearing our tops in the outdoors and telling their stories. And we want to share that and kind of form this community around it. Um, but recently we have applied at least a little bit of strategy to our Instagram for a while. It was just, you know, post what comes in, which works fine, but um, we're curating it a little bit more just to include a little bit more customer education in terms of sustainable fashion, um, sustainability in general, like for the outdoors and all of the community things that we're doing. So now we're kind of getting on a schedule where we're mixing in all of these great community and ambassador posts with a little bit of um, knowledge and education so that we're kind of getting people a little bit of information and a little bit of like empowerment through information in addition to all of these kind of positive images of women doing adventurous things in the outdoors. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. <laughs> um, so you mentioned ambassadors, and I'd love to hear more about your brand ambassador program. How did you come up with it? Um, what does it entail? How do you use it? I mean, mostly I just want to hear everything. But let's let's start with how you came up with it um, and got started actually reaching out to ambassadors um, and, and getting them to create content for you. Yeah, totally. So um, 
we actually, I would say, don't we don't really reach out or ask anyone to create content for us. I think um, the ambassador program started because when we were first uh, getting all of our prototypes together and everything, everybody was just kind of really excited about the idea of a sports pro that like actually fit them. And there's like an overwhelming amount of girls who are just like, how can I help you? Like, I love this idea. I want to get involved. What can I do? Um, so the ambassador program was just kind of a way for us to be like, Hey, yeah, help us out, like spread the word. You know, we have minimal requirements, but this is going to be an outlet so that you can kind of help us in our journey. Um, and once we took it to Instagram, we got even more requests. Um, we still get them all the time of just women wanting to be involved just because they're psyched about the brand. They're psyched about the product. Um, and in terms of asking them to create content, we really just, kind of let them take it into their own uh, path and, and do with it what they will. Um, I think uh, because it's so genuine and authentic like that, it, it does a lot better. It doesn't feel so forced. Um, and that's something that we consider when we're picking. I mean, if you can even call it picking <laughs> ambassadors <laughs> is um, really it's just the girls who are most genuinely excited about our brand are going to be the best ambassadors because they, they're they actually passionate about it. Like they care about the story. They care about the message. They love the product. Um, a lot of our girls, like were they started out just as customers. They purchased the top. Um, Kim Kim's a really good example. She's one of our athletes. She's a super strong climber from Canada. And we met her at the Flash Foxy Festival. She was just, you know, thought the top was interesting, bought one. And then she got in touch with us like six months later and she was like, hey, so I live, you know, sort of like a van life, cl traveling climber across Canada and U.S. And she's like, I haven't taken this top off in a month and it's, <laughs> it's not gross. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and she, she was just like so amped that she had finally found something that worked for her lifestyle that she was just like, let me help you. Like, let me let me spread the word. Um, so, yeah, we find that like. Uh, those customers that are like actually wearing the tops and love it and love everything that we have to say are usually the most effective as an ambassador too, because it's just real. You know, there's, there's so much fake in our society and on Instagram that it's just, I think, refreshing for people to see something real. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Do you have a formal relationship with your ambassadors or is it something that's, that's less formal, more informal? You know, I would say it's probably less formal yeah we kind of just let them um operate as they will and as opportunities come up we will get in touch with you know whichever ones we think are the most relevant for the opportunity whether it's like a campaign that we're going to run or some sort of a giveaway like we're doing a giveaway right now with um one of our ambassadors cheyenne who makes handmade silver jewelry with turquoise and we're all just like obsessed with all her jewelry over here at the Arad office. Like it's so beautiful. And all of the photos that she's taken for us are like really on brand. Like we joke that she's like the most on brand of all of our ambassadors. Um, Cause she just, she's got the perfect design eye for like the most crafted visual image. Um, so we, we try to make sure it's like a mutual thing too. Like, you know, we are promoting her jewelry and doing giveaways through that so that she can kind of get some exposure in that sense. Um, because it's really all about us being a community of women helping each other. And, um, 
Yeah, it's been great. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Um, I imagine this kind of brand ambassador influencer strategy um, has a way of kind of opening up other kinds of opportunities as well to get your product in front of the right people. Um, and and even like the 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 jewelry example is, is a great example. But have there been other ways that you've kind of seen ripple effects or had other opportunities pop up because of some of the people you've been working with? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, we met the Kim, the example that I used in the last um, question, she's from Vancouver, I believe. And we met her because we were in the Flash Boxy Festival. So this is kind of a domino effect. We went to the Flash Boxy Festival, met Kim. Kim, you know, became a super fan, wore our top around. And then she actually just, uh, we went to the Flash Boxy Festival again this year and she met up with us and she was like, Hey, I, you know, I work for this outdoor retailer in Canada. Um, she knew that we were kind of having trouble shipping to and from Canada because it's just really difficult to do that these days. Um, and she was like, I have a, a distributor I could hook you guys up with. Maybe they can help you alleviate that problem. Um, so I was actually just on a phone call yesterday with a, a Canadian distributor who's open to helping us figure out a way that we can ship to and from Canada without it being like a total customer nightmare. Um, and all of that came from, you know, just having that word of mouth relationship and meeting Kim. Um, so that's one example. Another example would be we get in touch with a lot of um, like women, groups of women who are working outdoors. And that's something that it's kind of part of our brand mission that we want to promote that. Like if you're a woman and you're making a life of, of um, being a guide or being someone who's active in the outdoors because there's not a lot of women doing that. It's, it's primarily men that are out there as, as mountain guides and, and all various outdoor guides. Um, so we try to promote that. And a lot of our ambassadors are doing that. Like Jessica Olson, she's one of our ambassadors. We met her. Um, she was a route setter at a nearby gym, which is another um, super male dominated uh, field and you know she again same thing she tried on our top she loved it for all of her adventures she's now becoming a mountain guide or she might already be certified I'm not as up to date on this but um, she has got us in touch with several guiding companies that are full of women who want to wear base wear tops on their adventures so we do these group orders where we give them a discount to be like hey you're out there making a life in the outdoors we want to make sure we're enabling you with some functional gear so that you can continue to do that. Um, so a lot of those group orders have come from our ambassadors because they're out there in the field, in the outdoors, um, making those connections with other women who are out there in the outdoors. And we kind of want to be, be there to provide something to help them on that life path. Gotcha. That makes a ton of sense. And those are perfect examples. Thank you. Um, all right, let's shift gears one more time here. Um, I, Obviously, you guys have have grown and grown in a very short period of time. And now that you're have you, now that you've become or are becoming a kind of a household name in, in the women's outdoor and climbing community, I can imagine that there's probably been some some headaches, maybe some stomach aches over kind of managing uh, the customer experience as things have scaled up. How are you staying on top of shipping and, and distribution and most importantly, customer support now that uh, you're fulfilling more orders than you were at the beginning? Yeah. So, um, well, I think the first thing to note is that we initially like intentionally stayed small because we knew that like scaling too big would be a total nightmare. 
So in the first few phases, we were like, okay, let's keep it super small. Let's iron out and identify any problems that we have really early on and set up processes to alleviate those problems and or automate them. Um, so we did that super early on and it's honestly paid off a lot. Um, and I can walk you through exactly what we've done um, to do that. So the main thing that we experience issues with in terms of customer service is getting people into the right fit. Um, because we have the two cuts, we have a high cut and a low cut. The high cut is for um, cup sizes C and above, C to, C to double D. And the low cut is for smaller cup sizes, so A through C. And this is not standard. Like we're the only people that do this. So it introduces this all new wrench to the buying process as a consumer because you don't, you've never seen this before. You know, typically you just buy small, medium, large, and that's the only options that you have. Um, and it's great because now we're giving women the option to shop for what fits them instead of what's available. But it means it's going to be more complex for them to understand what size they're supposed to be getting. Um, so one thing we've done it is just really clearly distinguishing by cup size. So clearly communicating, this is A through C, this is C through D. Um, we've also made a little widget on our website that will allow you to put in your bra size. So whether it's like 32B or 36 double D, um, and it will recommend what base wear top that you should purchase based on that cup size. So if you're 36 double D, it recommends a medium high cut. If you're 34 double D, it says you could fit into a small or a medium depending on how much compression you want. Um, so that was something I, it's just like a really easy little widget that I set up in JavaScript um, that allows the customer to kind of like do it themselves. And then we also created what we call the baseware guide, which is pretty much a guide to making sure that you actually have the right cup size. Because that's another thing we've identified is a lot of women either don't know what their cup size is or they have the wrong cup size. They've been measured incorrectly because they went to Victoria's Secret or something and they're you know, trying to give them a little confidence boost and just measured them incorrectly. Um, so we made this baseware guide that walks them through very simply how to measure themselves correctly in a way that will accommodate their lats and their traps and all the muscle groups that are commonly excluded with bra sizing. And then we have um, this quick chart to help them figure out what size that they should get based on that. And this was something we designed not just for women, but also for um, those 30% of our customers who are men because we were getting some customer questions from guys um, which are always our favorite customer questions. Whenever we get <laughs> inquiries from guys, it's always like there's this hint of panic in their voice. Like, oh, God, totally. I have to get my girlfriend the right size and I'm stressing hard. Um, so that's something we had to consider, too. It's like, OK, how about somebody who has no concept of what cup sizes even are? So anyway, so we've created all of these tools on our website to help the customer do it themselves. Um, and then we have set up an exchange program that makes it really easy for people to go and do online exchanges for free. And it's all done in the website. So they, we print out something that says, okay, this is your order number. If it doesn't fit, go to our base work guide, try measuring yourself. Um, and if it says you should get a different size, you can go to our exchange pages, just put in your information. We print out a, or we'll send you a label that you can print out and ship it with. Um, so that this whole process is kind of automated. We're taking care of the costs, but they're taking care of the manual labor of setting up the exchange. And then once they're going through the exchange, they can reach out to us via email or whatever channel that they need to to talk to us. 
And then we have what I call our one woman customer service expert, which is Lauren, my employee, and she handles all of our customer experience and she is absolutely fabulous at it. Um, we've trickled it down with all of these automated things on the website so that she, she only has to handle like, you know, the most, not critical, but the most sort of unique use cases. Like if somebody is really in between sizes or if it's a guy who just has no idea what to get for his girlfriend, um, she'll handle those kind of extreme use cases with one-on-one -on -one conversations through email. Um, and she's just, she's been amazing at it. Like we're, we're pretty lucky in that our customers have been absolutely fabulous like knock on wood but we've we've really never had a, a customer that was any kind of trouble um and i think a lot of it is our approach to making sure that they feel that we are really out there to get them the perfect fit every time um and lauren does a great job of handling that she always includes like a little touch of humor in her emails so that it's never too formal it's always just you know kind of casual and personal um, and, and we really do, we go out of our way to make sure every single customer gets the perfect fit because we know that once they do, they're probably going to come back and buy it in three more colors. They're probably going to tell their mom and their aunt and all their climbing buddies about it. Um, so it, it pays off in a big way, but automating those tasks in the beginning and then having as limited of a number of inquiries actually make it to our, our physical person has been kind of the strategy there and it's it's gone really well and I'm glad we did it while we were small because there was a time period where we were like oh my gosh we are getting so many customer requests this is too much for us to handle so many people need custom measurements from us um, so automating those things has really like alleviated that problem entirely. I love it and I love that for you uh, you know, automa uh, automating, systematizing all of these things doesn't mean losing that human touch too. And so you've got both sides of the equation and it sounds like it's serving you guys really well. Um, all right. So as we start to wrap up here, I'm curious what's next for a RET baseware? Yeah. So um, we are currently switching over to all sustainable fabric. So that is like our big shift right now, because um, like I said, we've stayed small for a while and that was like very intentional in order to make sure that we could iron out any kinks in our supply chain, make sure we could get our customer service pipeline streamlined as much as possible, but also making sure that we were not going to be producing massive amounts of goods that are not going to be sustainable towards the future. Um, so right now we're switching our fabric from, it is currently a blend of spandex and nylon, um, which is made from plastics, unfortunately. And there's kind of no way around that yet in the athletic wear fabric marketplace. But we can sub out all of the virgin nylon for recycled nylon. So we're in the process of sourcing a fabric that's pretty much exactly like our current fabric, but it's using nylon uh, fibers that have been created from plastic water bottles versus uh, being created from brand new plastic. So that's like our big thing right now is we're pretty much creating like a more sustainable version of our product. Um, once we do that, we are going to expand the line a little bit further. So this top that we create is part of what's called the Tura line, uh, which stands for contour, and it is hybrid swim and base layer items. So we're going to expand that to we have some shorts in the works. We've got some bottoms in the works. Um, and we're going to expand that to its own line. We have two other planned lines after that, which is Fura, which is going to be focused more towards surfers and ocean sports. And Vera, which we haven't quite decided yet, it's either going to be focused towards um, like cold weather sports 
or it's going to be for indoor use because we've kind of had a lot of requests of people who need like an indoor t-shirt type bra that's just as comfortable. Um, so that's, that's where the products are going. We are currently working with a Canadian supplier so we can start providing products to Canada because um, we've gotten a ton of customers that are international that are just like, please let me get a base work off. And we want to we want to provide that for them, but right now it's it's really difficult with um, all of the fees and taxes and shipping involved with that. So we're currently working to get into Canada, and then we've got some conversations going on with a larger retailer, but um, that's all still in flux. I don't want to you know count count the eggs too early, totally, or whatever the saying is. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm I'm was so hoping that you were going to say you had shorts and, and bottoms in the works. So um, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to seeing what you guys come up with for that. So um, this has been a really fabulous conversation. And I just so appreciate you really pulling back the curtain on how a wreck came to be the the struggles that you've had, but most importantly, all of the victories that you've had in bringing this product to market. So Bridget Kilgallen, thank you so much for this great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Find out more about Arette Baseware at arettebaseware.com. That's A-R-E-T baseware.com. What Works is brought to you by Co-Commercial. Okay, so what exactly is Co-Commercial? Co-Commercial is a social network, event producer, and support hub, especially for small business owners in the digital space. We know you want to turn the business you've started into something that will stand the test of time, provide for you and your family, and help your customers transform their lives or work. We connect you to people who get the obstacles you're facing as an entrepreneur. We produce events to educate, connect, and inspire you on your journey. We're a community of business owners who help you find creative solutions to your unique challenges without reinventing the wheel. Here's how it works. Step one, join co-commercial. Step two, share a challenge, obstacle, question, or setback you're currently facing in your business. Step three, get personalized answers from a diverse community of experienced business owners. Step four, never waste time on Google or Facebook trying to find answers for your business again. We're not another online course. We're not a free group where you get lost in a sea of self-promotion. We're not a cut and paste template for doing business online. And we're not aiming to teach you a hundred new things you don't have time for. We're here to support you on your journey. We help you get back on track and back to running, managing, and growing your business as quickly as possible. No fluff, just personalized, just-in-time answers to your biggest and smallest questions. Ready to give it a try? Request your invitation to the network today. Go to cocommercial.co. That's cocommercial.co. That's it for this week's episode of What Works. If you love getting a behind-the-scenes look at how real small business owners are making it work, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening. We also appreciate you leaving a review and sharing the podcast with your friends or colleagues. What Works is produced by Rosie Medias and edited by Marty Seafelt. Kristen Runvik prepares our show notes. Our opening music is by The Shrugs and our ad music is by Marley Carroll. Tune in next week for another look at how small businesses actually work.